Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, folks, and welcome to Compound Interests Podcast. I am John Najarian from Market Rebellion, and I am delighted to have Hall of Famer, multiple Hall of Fames, Doug. Is there a Hall of Fame that you're not in? I mean, the gentleman, folks, of course, that I'm talking about is Doug Flutie. He is Heisman Award winner in 1984 for Boston College. Um, one of the most epic finishes of any game ever. And I'm a guy who went to Berkeley, Doug. So, uh, you know, I know a few things about, uh, you know, like we called it the play. Uh, yep. at Berkeley where, you know, they had the seven laterals and things like that against Stanford. And the and uh, Kevin Moen spiked the ball at the uh, trombone player. Oh. As he came I, down I love it. I love it. I, that is, you know, there's a handful of them that are at the top of the list, and that's definitely there. That was the most unbelievable finish. And the band just made it that much more spectacular, you know, running over trombone players and band on the field. Um, it's... Uh, it's cool to just be mentioned in those finishes. Well, um, and you, my friend, like I say, folks, I mean, Canadian Football Hall of Fame, um, College Football Hall of Fame, uh, the stats speak for themselves. Doug does a fabulous job also speaking for the sport um, because he is still an announcer for the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. And uh, I have enjoyed your voice on those broadcasts for years and your insights, Doug, because we all know that there are people that play the game, um, some of whom, like yourself, can really describe potentially what's going on through the coach's head, in the players' minds, um, what kind of adrenaline is going on and all that kind of stuff. You do all of that when you're talking about Notre Dame football, especially you know when, when that stadium is rocking with 84,000 or whatever screaming it's it's been a lot of fun i'll tell you to be involved in a nationally prominent program like notre dame and be there week in and week out where every game is a big deal and every game is a big game um it's been a blessing i've, I've worked with mike Tarico, um and it it just uh you know i'd love that I'd, i would love boston college to be on that platform but they're not so uh it's the next best thing yeah, well, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening uh, and watching right now that uh, have appreciated your career an awful lot. Um, and I know, I know one of the people that represents you, Kristen, um, was uh, telling me all kinds of funny stories about the Hail Mary pass and so forth. And I know every year, and one of these years I'm going to go, Doug, because I've never been to the Heisman Award dinner. Uh, hopefully it won't be virtual. Hopefully it'll be um, there this year in New York, but if you could tell folks just a little bit about, obviously we remember the play when you had that Hail Mary, but a lot of folks don't really focus on another player that when you were watching films or maybe when you were celebrating and talking about it, you kind of thought maybe, maybe if you would have thrown to this other guy, you would have still won the game, but you might not have hey. been Doug Flutie. <laughs> i tell you what, we, um, we run the play, I roll right, throw the ball towards Gerard, blah, blah, blah. The backside tight end is supposed to stay in protection. There was an inadvertent whistle. They'd snapped the ball. They reset. On the reset, two things happened. The guy that was covering Gerard 
in press coverage walked out over Kelvin Martin, the wide receiver that is maybe faster, figured I'll slow him down, which allowed Gerard to be the first guy down the field. Secondly, I knew they were going to go three-man rush. So during the little delay there, I walked over to the tight end. I said, hey, get wide and go down the backside boundary. You might get the ball. Go. So I told him to blow off his pass protection. So I drop back. I intentionally scramble right, get out there, and a linebacker's running at me, so it's time to throw it. I just launched for the end zone. I wanted to get out there and look backside. After the game, in the commotion, all that, you know, Gerard caught it, touched it. Um, Pete Casparilla was the backup tight end, and he was the guy in the game at the time. He said, you know, we, we had a chance. And I kind of thought, you know how every, every receiver is open. All They're the, always yeah, open. <laughs> I was open on the backside. I was here. I was there. I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. Years and years go by. Maybe I met bumping the Pete a few times, and he said, you know, we had a chance. And I go, yeah, I know. Da, da, da. Well, last year was the 35th anniversary of the pass, and I looked at a bunch of stuff because I did a bunch of pieces on it and all that, and I found the, the film of it. I found the shot where Pete is all by himself at about the 10 to 15-yard line. The backside corner that should have been over there had drifted all the way across. He was the guy that bumped into the free safety making a play on the ball, allowed the ball to go through. So the guy that should have been there was like 30 yards away. So Pete <laughs> would have, it would, if I could have set myself and made the throw, Pete would have been a walk-in. But he said he was glad I didn't throw it to him because he probably would have dropped it. Nah, you, <laughs> well, you, you'd, you'd hate to be that guy because you'd go from uh, being the goat to the goat. Um, yeah. But, uh, oh, my gosh. And – you know, a great player finished behind you in the Heisman voting that year, Keith Byers. I remember him because my brother was playing in the Big Ten at the time, Doug. And I remember what a beast he was. Um, I, I remember Keith, we thought he'd have a great career in the pros. Ended up not being so much. A lot of those Ohio State running backs, they've taken such a beating in the Big Ten. Um, sure. And or they might not be able to catch the pass out of the backfield. Well, back then, they carried the ball 30-plus times a game. You know, it was, hey, where the guy, Herschel Walker was a perfect example of that down at Georgia. But back then, you had a featured tailback, and you gave him the rock, and he pounded, 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 and got stronger as the game went, that type of guy. Keith actually was a good third down back. I thought mm -hmm. Keith caught the ball well out of the backfield and did a lot of other things well. But he was, he was a big physical guy that could catch the ball as well. So – um, yeah, a lot of those guys, I mean, and I guess if you go way, way back, you talk about Earl Campbell, but um, guys that just took such a pounding through their college years and early years in the NFL and were done, um, where nowadays they keep, they keep a good tab on that. They rotate guys. They rotate guys at the NFL level. Some guys are just third down backs. Some, you know, so um, everybody's got a, quote, stable of running backs now when they rotate the ball. That would be frustrating. I don't know. Go whole game, carry the ball eight times. You feel like you barely played if you're a tailback. Right. Well, um, I, I remember also that uh, uh, from, from, I mean, your Boston College team was loaded. Um, I mean, there were, there were a lot of great players on that team. I know you guys had an Outland Trophy winner. Um, nose guard, Mike Ruth. Bruce. Mike yeah. Bruce hit nose guard. You know what's uh, amazing? You talk about Boston College, you know, mm -hmm. Notre Dame, yeah, all these top-round draft choice, all that. Boston College, with my group, our two starting tailbacks that alternated, both played, had very good NFL careers, 
uh, Troy Stratford down in Miami. Kenny Bell was his backup, but had about five, six years out in Denver. The guy that backed them up was a guy named Steve Strahan that played four or five years as a special teams guy. Our tight end uh, was drafted by the Patriots, played a little bit and was done. We had Steve Trapillo, a first-round draft choice in the offensive line. We had Mark McDonald, a first-round draft choice in the offensive line, played in Minnesota. We had uh, Mike Ruth on defense that knows. We had Billy Romanowski on defense. Uh, a guy named George Radachowski played in the NFL uh, defensively as a corner. Uh, my brother, Darren, Gerard Phelan. Uh, Kelvin Martin had a great career with uh, Dallas. Those were three of my receivers. I mean, it was like you know, we were at Boston College, and they weren't, they weren't like five-star recruit guys. You know, we all came in and became what we became while we were in college. You know, we improved there. We weren't coming out of high school as five-star recruits. But you go back to that team, and we, I always felt like we were the under overachievers. But really, we had, we had some talent. Yep, you guys had some talent that the other folks overlooked. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, in, in some ways it was to your benefit, and in other ways it was, you know, quite sad uh, because uh, of the talent that, you know, as a guy that watched more than played, I played four games in the NFL, Doug. So then I was cut, so I ended up watching my brothers. One tried to play at Green Bay, one tried to play for the Lions, and the other, uh, Pete, uh, who's on the CNBC with me and business partner of mine, he played for six years. Uh, was not a, the star, but he was a good player. Um, but unfortunately, you know, never got the shots. Never got, you know, uh, and in some ways, uh, I'm, it's, it's not like you're rooting for the guy to drop in front of you. Um, but in, in other ways, that's how you get your shot. Somebody else oh, yeah. has to, you know, mess up either get hurt or make a big mistake and the coach gets frustrated and puts Pete in instead. But he got to play six years and he loved it. I'll tell you, so much is being in the right system with the right guys around, especially the quarterback, with the right guys around you to give you the opportunity to shine. Um, another guy that was from our Boston College team, I just put John Boza, his sons, both the Ohio State boys. Um, and, uh, you know, John was a great defensive lineman himself. So, you know, so much is, and then a lot for me in the, at the quarterback position was the guys you had surround you, having a coach that believed in you, give you the opportunity so that when you are on the field, you're not always looking over your shoulder, afraid to take risks. Uh, we were talking before we started this about uh, Jimmy, Jim McMahon out in Chicago. I think Jim McMahon is the only quarterback in history that could have gone in there with Buddy Ryan, and Mike Dick uh, button heads and been able to be as successful as he was and win a Super Bowl. Because all the rest of us are looking like, you know, you got a great defense, you don't want to screw up, you want to protect the football, be careful, all that. Dick gets upset, he's in your face, and you got to do it. Jim was the only guy that would just give it right back. Jim didn't yep. care, he didn't care what you thought, he went and did his thing, and that was kind of what that team needed. Yeah, you're right. Um... It was, it was sad to see that team dismantled, Doug, because um, clearly they had multiple Super Bowls, potentially but Super Bowl appearances at least, and perhaps wins, because when you have a defense like that, um, and I'm still friendly with Dent and Wilbur and Otis and, you know, a bunch of the guys that, uh, mainly Dent and Otis that I see a lot at the games, and it was so sad, things like, you know, Dave Dewerson, 
you know, oh, speaking of Notre Dame, I know yeah. you're a, like I say, broadcaster for him, but this is one of the best guys. No and doubt. For for him to have come down with that CTE to the point where he took his life um, and took it in a really hard way because he wanted to preserve his head so that uh, the, the, the medical people could exactly try to figure out, A, that he did have it, and B, if there's any way they could prevent some of the sorts of injuries that he ended up getting. Um, that was just so sad. Because no doubt. Great guy. I couldn't believe that when I heard it because I hadn't kept in touch with him. Um, I just knew him from a couple of years playing together and exactly a class guy, first class, and to, to see how that happened. It shows you we don't all know what's going on up in the, up in the head and, and what's going on and how dangerous it can be. And, you know, we all as football players take it on ourselves. We know it's a physical game. We know we're going to – my knee's a wreck, my back. I had a back surgery. I, I, still, I still go out running on it. I don't care. It's a mess. But, I'm, you know, you know you're going to get beat up. But th those are injuries that uh, they're hard to measure, hard to tell what's going on. And we all – how many times – oh, I got dinged. I got – you know, how many – I don't know how many concussions. I know I had two concussions with memory loss over my career and a bunch of, you know, getting dazed and banged up and all that. I'm 57 years old now. Um, maybe I'm just a little more forgetful because of my age more than anything, I hope. Uh, but for the most part, I feel, you know, I feel fine and things are good. But I played 21 years professionally and put pads on for 35. You just never know. And uh, you know, we all take that inherent danger. Um, it, it would be a crime. And if the NFL actually knew the dangers of concussions before they actually led on to all the players. And that was what that big discussion was all about. Yeah. Well, we can hope that uh, some of the equipment, I mean, like that. This is helmet, the one with the flap right here in the middle and things like that. I met the doc that helped him create that. Seems like a lot of players love that versus the others. Um, and you're seeing more and more of those helmets, um, the, the new generation helmets that seem so much safer than, I remember bike helmets, Doug, that were I, actually, you know, with those stupid inner tubes around yeah, there. Yeah, the two double tube. The liner, you pump it up, and then and it would, would always, pop. They would all deflate on you, and you didn't realize it. Yeah. And uh, I had a one of my concussions towards the end of my career. I got slammed to the ground. I hit my head and all that. Um, and that was late in the first quarter. Actually, Drew Brees came off the bench, finished that game, and you know I kind of came around the beginning of the third quarter, and the the equipment guys were like, you know, you had no air in your helmet at all, and you know, <laughs> I'm like. I don't, yeah, you just don't know. And, and right. you know, the, the big thing back then was, and Rydell was trying to keep coming out with a lighter helmet, lighter, because the player, you know, the bike helmet was really a heavy helmet. And I always was cringed about how light some of the newer helmets were because I, it just didn't feel safe to me. I didn't know the science behind it. But uh, I haven't put on a newer helmet. I haven't put on a helmet in probably 10, 15 years. So I don't know what they're like now. Now, Maybe if I could switch gears just for a sec, Doug. Um, the uh, Flutie Foundation for Autism. Um, mm -hmm. You mentioned that you're doing a, a charity event tonight. Is this for that? Or is this yes. yet another charity Absolutely. that you're involved in? No, this in? is us. This is the Doug Flutie Jr. Foundation for Autism. We have a yearly gala that, uh, you know, it's, it's a big deal. We have um, our band will go set up and we have a bunch of Boston area musicians come down and sit in and guys from the band Boston, guys from the band 
Jay Giles, Aerosmith, you name it, guys have sat in. Uh, it's just been so much fun. And then uh, it's our, one of our big fundraisers. So it's virtual tonight. Uh, you can go to flutiefoundation.org and, and connect through that if you'd like to join and, and be a part of it. Uh, we actually have a couple of real rock stars sitting in. We, we, we videotaped some stuff where the band jammed like through the Zoom thing. I mm -hmm. do not know how it works. I just played my part and laid down my tracks, all right? Um, <laughs> but uh, also Cody Lee. Cody is a, a young man that when we started our foundation, it was a few years in, uh, we, were, we were doing, we did a bowling tournament out in San Diego and had, my band always kind of sets up and areas. So this woman comes up, Cody Lee's mom, and asked if her son could sit in and play with it. He has autism, he's blind. And we're like, oh, okay. Sure, you know, why, well, this, yeah, this will be cute. And then you try to hold a conversation with Cody and because he has autism, it's very difficult. And I'm thinking, oh, this may be a train wreck. Come on, please, just, it, it'll be cute. <laughs> if nothing else, it'll be cute. Cody was probably eight years old, would be my guess. He sat down at the piano and uh, our band joined in as he started to play. He played um, Who'll Stop the Rain, a CCR song. And oh my God, he belted it out. He played the piano, I was like blown away. Fast forward to, Last year, a year before, Cody Lee went on America's Got Talent and won America's Got Talent. And Cody's going to do a song for us tonight, you know, virtually and all that. Um, just an amazing story because if you met Cody, you know, he has autism. He uh, is blind. He conversationally is a little awkward. You know, it's tough. And when he gets behind the piano and he starts to sing, it's amazing. Um. That's fantastic, and uh, we'll make sure we put a link to it in this, Doug. Uh, and it's uh, DougFlutieJr.org, or what, what is it? FlutieFoundation.org. FlutieFoundation.org will get, get you there. Okay, we'll make sure we put a link to it. Um, what do you think about uh, people getting back into stadiums, um, you know, whether it's hockey, football, baseball, um, you know, basketball? What do you, how do you think it happens for the NFL? Let me put it to you that way. Will college and NFL happen this fall? You know, I, I say yes. I say they play. Whether people get back in the stadium or not is a uh, liability thing, I believe, that's going to be really tricky to negotiate. And I honestly, personal opinion, no science behind it. The numbers that I've seen, if you're under the age of 55, go back to your normal life, go to the games, hang out, have, have fun. You know, if you're, if you're elderly, if you have pre-existing conditions, protect those people. The rest of we got to get back. We got to get back to normalcy. And I really believe that. I, I live in an area in Florida that three people over the three, four month window that this has been going, three people came down with it or four, two, came from New York and came down to our town. So they don't count. But over a four month window, I mean, we're just, you know, a sleepy little beach town and it's different. We're not New York City. We're not in the middle of a, a metropolis where everybody's on top of each other. And that's what you get at a football stadium. So yes, I think uh, the numbers may go up, but as far as that, you know, how lethal it is to people that are healthy and say under the age of 50, uh, I just, I just think we got to live our lives and protect the others. Yeah, I agree. That personal I'm, opinion, don't yeah. know. That's not science, people. Doesn't mean that Doug Flutie said it's okay. 
right? And and I'm not saying it's okay either, but I have the exact same message done. My message after listening to Fauci every single time he's on TV, literally every time, because my brother and I are on that channel and Dr. Scott yeah. Gottlieb and all of these folks. I have a lot of respect for what the virus can do to, to all of us, but in particular to that group that you define over a certain age, pre-existing condition, obese, type two diabetes, all these kinds of things. Outside of that, if people had to wear a mask to go to a stadium, um, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Um, and uh, I think we'd still have a good time. Now, I, I think that many of the uh, venues will not be happy for quite a while because even if they get people back in there, Doug, depending how we consume our beverages and all that sort of thing, I think a lot of revenue is going to be down. Uh, but getting back to a little bit more normalcy, having some of those folks out there in the parking lot, you know, doing their uh, tailgating and so forth, um, especially with groups of people that they're already hanging with, um, I don't know that that spread is going to be dramatic. And again, if you live with somebody who has any of those things Doug and I talked about, be very careful and don't do that. But if you're somebody else who doesn't fall into those groups, you don't live with one of those people, then I think you can get out there. And it, it, the economy itself, Doug, depends on it. Because That's if perfect. we're afraid and we don't go out, have you been involved in restaurants and things like that? I know you're involved. I do. In I, have, um, I have a restaurant that's in a casino up near Foxborough. Uh, Plain Ridge Park. Um, and I also am part owner in some enterprises with a, my cousin. Actually, we've done a few restaurants. I locally, it's a perfect example. There's a, a young man that has about four, four restaurants locally, and they're all shut down and he can't work. He got very creative in his takeout business and almost maintained on. I'm, we're different. Down here, like I said, you wouldn't even know the, after about two, three weeks, first of all, people that live in Florida, kind of rebels, they don't, they're gonna go their own way and do their own thing anyway. Mm -hmm. So, you know, okay, we'll put up, we'll, we'll appease you for a week or two, but that's about it. Proof, and they were back to normal and he did well. Um, and uh, he's even opening another restaurant soon. So he, he stayed ahead of the curve. He got creative in how he did his takeout, extended his, uh, area and did a bunch of things and i i just think so many small businesses took it on the chin people that are especially if you were just starting out and just getting your legs under you and just getting started and this thing hit your business is shot right and and we we still in a lot of areas small businesses aren't allowed to open yet we see all these riots in the streets and people out there demonstrating and all that but that's okay so that it's a double-edged sword. Um, we yep. fought through it. I think we're past the worst of it. I think we got to get back to normal life. I agree. Yep. And uh, it's, a, it's a point I make all the time, Doug, about, um, you know, the, the, the states that are staying locked down uh, to a greater extent. Um, they want to point to, well, Texas is seeing a spike in cases. And yet it's a, it's a state of 29 million. And they're calling a spike when they get to 2,400 people and things yeah. like that. We care about all 2,400 people and we hope they recover. And based on what we know, if they're, um, for instance, Governor DeSantis in Florida, where you are, 
Governor DeSantis said the average case has dropped from 67 years old to 35. Now, I guarantee you it's going to have a different mortality rate at the 35-year-olds that are on average getting it because they're back out in society versus the 67 to 85-year-old group that, you know, it's a lot more dangerous for those folks. It's not that we don't care about them. We're just playing the odds and we're saying, look, until there's a cure, what are you saying? That we're not going to have businesses? That everything's going to stay shut down? I mean, nothing works if we do that. Coming back in a smart way is the right thing to do, I think. Again, I'm not the doctor, but I'm saying, yeah. you know, be oh. smart about it, but let's get back out there and get these businesses back on their feet. Yeah. Sounds like you and I are on the same page with a lot of this. And, um, uh, you know, we could dig deep, but a lot of, you know, it all, you can take numbers, just like in football, you can take numbers and do anything you want with them. You can spin them a certain way. You can show the increase. You can show, but bottom line is, you know, if, if we take accountability on our own mm -hmm. for all aspects of life, all, all, I, I live at the beach and there are a lot of crosswalks and there's been a big to do over the last year about people crossing the street, getting hit by cars and things of that nature. Well, you know, there was a crosswalk there and you just, what, look, we grew up, look both ways before you cross the street. When no cars are coming, you cross. Okay, you're at a crosswalk, great. Just make sure, make eye contact, wait till they stop. But they, you know, so then they added these flag things to go across. Now they have flashing lights and the flags and little pylons in the street. And it's like, because someone else got hit recently. And it's like, at some point, America, we have to take accountability for our own actions in every aspect. Yeah. Now, uh, folks, Doug has his own podcast uh, coming with Matt Schaub. Um, it's going to be called Quarterback Corner, or it, it already is out there, QB Doug? Corner, yes. Okay, QB Corner. And uh, I encourage you guys to listen to that. Uh, how big is DraftKings, Doug? And how big is sports betting? Because oh. one of the things about us being locked down is it has really focused people in on a potential for all these remote ways to game, you know? And so it's not just DraftKings, me picking a team and things like that. You've got Dave Portnoy out there uh, from Barstool Sports, your, your you know, hometown guy. Um, yeah. he, he has been killing it. And he's playing my game because he's trading and he's pretty good at it. Um, and he's like a Pied Piper. All these people follow him in and they're thinking, if Dave can do it, and Dave's yeah. just this knucklehead that created Barstool Sports, um, as smart as it is to create something like that that's worth five or $600 million. So I'm not ripping on Dave. I'm saying, you're a brilliant guy, good Dave. For you. But now he's trading too. <laughs> And he's, you know, and I say this about trading and I don't day trade, mm -hmm. but if you are willing to take the time and keep up with everything on a daily basis and follow, you can do that. Mm -hmm. And you can, you can be aggressive and mess with it and do it, but you've got to be locked in 24 seven on it and, and go. Um, I like my peace of mind. I like sitting back. I like being able to sleep at night and not worry about it. I think it's fun. And then, and then you started talking about DraftKings and everything else. What has brought the, what took the NFL to new highs and sports in general 
became the legalized gambling and the online gambling. People love it. And they, they my generation, while, while I was playing, the whole uh, fantasy football thing started to take off. And of course, me being me, I, I fight it. I fight change all the time. I don't like it. Um, and I never got into it because I was playing at the time it got popular. And then after I retire, it's like this thing that everybody has uh, knows like the back of their hand and they know the ins and outs of it. And I would be at a disadvantage from the get go there. But that's what's so the average Joe is educated on personnel and who's where and how many yards and how it, and it's it's changed it and it created a whole new level of popularity in professional sports. Yep, it's it's one of the things that really might help drive it too, um, like you said, Doug, to new levels. Um, yeah. Let me switch to one more uh, quick story that I know is uh, one that the viewers and listeners will enjoy. And that is where Chris Berman and Belichick are uh, <laughs> talking. And uh, Doug is playing for New England at the time, folks. And I'm 163 years old. <laughs> yeah. And Berman tells Belichick, you know what? This guy can do a drop kick. And Belichick, being, you know, this crazy man who's also so brilliant and so underappreciated by the people outside of Boston. Because the people in Boston, of course, he's a saint. You know, he's revered. Everybody else hates the guy. Yeah. Hates him because all he, all he does is win. You know, just win, baby. I know that was, uh, you know, the Raiders, but that Al has Davis. become, yep, it's not Davis anymore, Al Davis. That's just win, baby. That's the New England Patriots. I mean, for all these, you know, for the, for the last eight years, it's been Super Bowl win, Super Bowl win, Super Bowl win, lose to the Giants, Super Bowl win, lose to the Giants, Super Bowl win, beat, you know, it, it's amazing. Right. Yeah. So anyway, when Belichick is out right. there and he hears this, tell us about that story and how that played out. Uh, Chris Berman had come to a practice. Chris had seen me messing around drop kick for years. I always go out in pregame, well before pregame, in my shorts and t-shirt, just kind of warming up and messing around. And I would drop kick, something I've done all my life. So uh, Berman tells Belichick. Belichick calls me in the office after practice. First of all, I thought I was in trouble. I thought, you know, bring your playbook, you're gone. You know, I, I was used to all I did all year was get the pom poms out and cheer for Tom Brady, right? It's like, come on, win me a ring, Tom. So uh, I walk in the office. There's Belichick at his, his desk. And standing behind is Chris Berman just beaming. Like, and Bill says, hey, can you drop kick? I say, yes. He goes, is it still legal? I go, I believe it is. I, it is in Canada. I don't know. So, we, yeah, it's still legal. He goes, well, work on it. We'll practice it tomorrow. So uh, I kick three balls in practice. I hit the left upright, hit the center in the butt and kick the line drive through. And then he said, oh, it's something we can work with, right? We were going to do it on Monday night against the Jets. Didn't happen. We didn't get in the field goal range. Uh, he put me in. Spur the, I just happened to be standing. First of all, we're playing Miami in a, in a meaningless game. We're down by 14 with five minutes ago. Castle started the game instead of me, which kind of irritated me because it was a meaningless game. I thought it would be my last hurrah. But he needed to find out about Matt. So Matt played. So I stood there, froze my tail off the whole game. And I just happened to be standing next to Bill. And he sees me, he goes, hey, you score here, you're kicking it. He didn't get that sentence out of his mouth. We were in the end zone. <laughs> and I'm like, are you serious? Now I'm 43. I've been standing around for three and a half, four hours. I'm <laughs> locked up. 
rip the jacket off, grab a ball out of the equipment guy's hands, kind of punch one into the stands, jog out, and we do it. And there's a whole story about the huddle and stuff that went on. But I basically told the offensive line to negotiate with the D-line. Tell them what's going on. Because if they rush this thing, it's going to get blocked. And I don't know how much conversation went on, but they played it straight like it was a two-point conversion. And only the outside guys came up the field and kicked it through. Fantastic. Fantastic. But the best part, the best part's this, and it started a trend, I believe. Okay. I hit the field goal. I turn, I fist pump. Offensive line, all the guys turn around. They run at me like we just won the Super Bowl. We're still down seven with four minutes to go. You know? But so I go to the sideline to just, I'm going to go hug Bill. And Bill's not the most touchy-feely guy in the world, right? So I get the awkward, <laughs> the awkward hug with Bill and all this stuff. Well, after the game, I meet up with my daughter and my wife. And she says, you blew off Tom Brady on national TV. I'm like, what? Tom came out for a high five. I went right by him to Bill <laughs> and blew Tom off on the high five. So I guess it's become a thing. And I think what happens is Tom's kind of awkward with the timing of high fives. And he gets blown off all the time. Well, uh, I've seen I, I awkward. I've seen awkward with Tom, um, okay. and I've seen that uh, his. Uh, I wouldn't call it a highlight reel from the, uh, uh, you know, from Stop Indianapolis when, when when they do the testing. And he oh. what did he run a a five four or what? I tell you what, he worked so hard at his footwork and his quickness, and it, and it just. It pains – Tom's my all-time favorite quarterback. Let's get that straight right off the top. Best I've Love ever him. been around. Yeah. It's so frustrating as a, now, as a fan of Tom and seeing the middle of a game, third and six, and the, the C parts, and Tom steps up. It's like, run, Tom. Just go. Just fall for it. You're nine feet tall. Just reach with the ball and fall. And it just – but his movement in the pocket, you know, he's got good feet. He moves around. He buys time as well as anybody in the pocket. Um, it's just sometimes you wish he – because you see guys like Lamar Jackson run with the ball. You see guys tuck it under and go at the quarterback position now that are just amazing. And that's the one thing that a Tom Brady, a Peyton Manning never had. Right. Um, winding up in just a couple minutes, Doug, because, again, I'm, I want to be respectful of your time, but I wanted to ask you, how do you think – Tom does down there in Tampa. Uh, I, you know, this is a big change. Oh, it, it's a big change. You know, my, my, my first thoughts go to, I bounced around a lot throughout my career, and I kept learning new offenses. Mm -hmm. And it always took you a couple of years till you knew it like the back of your hand and it was instinctive. They do a lot more now in the offseason, although it's corona offseason, so, but that, that they can catch up and get past all that. Um, but the talent he has around him, he's got Godwin and uh, Mike Evans um, at receivers, guys that he hasn't had. You know, he's had the little slot quick guy and this, that, and the other. The last big, big-time receiver was Randy Moss for one season. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see Tom with a guy like Mike Evans, a big go-to type guy, and, and what they have. I, they've got some talent. They've got some athletes around them. Now, you know, Tom. How about Gronk? What about well, Gronk oh, yeah. coming I think, back? I think the great thing about Gronk coming back is maybe he's not going to be an every down tight end. Maybe he, maybe he is. Maybe he's ready for that. But he's got to feel healthier than he oh, yeah. ever did over the last five years he played. You take that year off, 
and uh, you know, he's got to feel healthy. And, and I think Gronk will be Gronk. I think we'll, it's, it's not going to be like a rusty Gronk. You know, he, I think Gronk will be Gronk. Right. And he's still a young guy, Doug. I mean, when you he's look like at 31, it, I think, right? Yeah. When, when, when you compare him to, you know, tight ends that are still playing at 36 and 37 yeah. years old and he retired at 30 or 29 or whatever it was. <laughs> and he's a year older now and we'll see what happens. But I agree. I, I think that rest probably made a huge difference for him. You know, there's a little bit of getting back into the swing of things and getting hit again and all that. And that, that'll be gone in the first week. He'll be back in the week. And, and he'll be, I, I think he'll be off and running. And for Tom, when he was at New England, he won Super Bowls by getting, you know, he had these, these moving parts. He had a decent little slot receiver, okay guy on the outside. But his tight ends and his tailback that was a good receiver is where he would get his matchups. He would get Gronk in a position to work on a linebacker or the tailback to work against the linebacker. And those are the guys that, that made Super Bowl runs for them because all of a sudden these little quick backs out of the backfield are one-on-one, he gets 11 catches. And Gronk's getting his matchup for a couple of big plays. Those are the positions that you can get those matchups. Doug, I can't thank you enough, my friend, for coming on. Oh. Really appreciate it. Um, Kristen, I really appreciate her hooking us up. Uh, I just, like I say, I, I got to go to one of those Heisman dinners. Uh, she's invited me before, and I haven't been able to get there. But um, I know that you're one of the kings of that. And that all these it's kids just, they love you, man. They oh, love you. And they still get to enjoy you because of the Notre Dame games and things like that. So thank you very much. It's a fun weekend. It's fun to see all the guys, the guys come back. And, um, you know, it's, it gets a little depressing because we all become a family and we lose people, you know, yeah. every year pretty much. And uh, Joey Bellino last year was the first year Joe wasn't there. And, um, you know, that, that we all feel like a family. And it's, it's such a fun weekend and to see everybody when they come back. And then we get to meet the young kids that are, you know, it's it, one other, it's funny when the young kids walk in the room, they, they have been king all year long, right? And they win the Heisman Trophy and we're very appreciative of their abilities and all they do at all. But they walk into that room, they're just another guy. <laughs> yeah. And they realize these guys have done a lot. I got a long way to go. Yep. Well, we, you've done a lot, Doug. We appreciate what you've done. Appreciate what you're doing with the Flutie Foundation. We'll put up a link to that and to your QB Corner uh, podcast. And again, nothing but uh, good things to say about you, your family, and wish you guys well. Stay safe, and we hope to have you back sometime in the future, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Doug. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.